Welcome to episode 655 of I Am Talk, your weekly fix in all things Iron Man. Alrighty, team, welcome along to episode 655 of I Am Talk with Coach John Newsom and Bevan James Owls. How you going, mate? Pretty good. Top of the morning to you, Bevan. You need to bring your mic a little bit closer, actually. Oh, you, well, you had it perfect last week. Did you leave it exactly where I it was did, supposed I, to be? I did leave it all week. Did you? Yep, no. Good. Yep, no. Nah. <laughs> yep, no. Nah. Yeah, no. Nah. Yeah, no. Nah. Yeah, no, bro. Yeah, no. Nah. Oh, I'm turning me up, not you up. That's why I talk now. This is fantastic. Yep, there we go. There, there we go. We're there, we're there. Okay, so uh, uh, I Am Talk is proudly brought to you by... Extreme Endurance, Galactic Buffer, and our patrons. And let's name a few, Jumbo. Andrew, you can keep your hat on, Sega. Isn't it meant to be leave your hat on? You can leave your hat on. Okay, could be right. Yep, I think we're going to, yeah, you can keep your hat on as well. But I think we're going with the song with Bob Seger. Mm-hmm. So I'm thinking we should say leave. Uh, Neil, the educator, Cooper. I love this one. Olaf, the pipeline pusher, Schweidler. <laughs> Where's that one come from? I don't know. The pipeline pusher. Maybe he's a surfer. Yeah. Pipeline, you know, in the pipeline. Could have been. Pushing the pipeline. This week's show, guys, we've got some news. We've got a hot topic of the week. Uh, we've got, we've got a, we're going back to last week's hot topic of the week as well. Because some people aren't happy. Yes, myself included. Myself included. And uh, we have an interview. We have. We're talking with Ella Harris. So we've got a bit of a junior theme on today's show because uh, related around our discussion of the week, Ella Harris is a young female who is doing extremely well with her cycling. She won the Zwift Global Challenge last year and uh, she's uh, yeah, she's basically a cyclist, did a bit of triathlon in her youth and we're sort of discussing her pathway to getting to top, which fits in with our discussion of the week. Pathway to the top. Okay, so let's get straight into news. Oh, high five, a couple of little small things. High five, wing of the week and questions and answers at the end. So we're going to be doing our thing where we don't talk about a race that was really good on the weekend. Well, no, we don't talk about the results. We can talk about the race. Okay. okay. Super League was on at the weekend. It is awesome. It's They talk about game changers in sports, and I hate that word, game changer. You know what it is, John? It's a game changer. I think it is. <laughs> you uh, hate that I hate word. that word. But I think it is. It was awesome. Uh, the reason I don't want to talk about the results, even if you've seen who it was pretty dramatic, wins, wasn't it? Uh, it's still awesome. So I on the first day. Uh, so they had two days. First day was. So what happens on the first day? Well, that's the Eliminates. eliminator. So you have three races, super sprint, three hundred swim, six k bike. I think it was two k run. And how, how long between each race? 10 minute break in between each race. Oh my god! And that 10 minutes starts when the first person finishes. So if you're Oh really? If you're a minute behind, like you're not going to be much more than a minute behind. Still, it's less rest. Then you nine minutes rest, uh, and then you do it again. Another five eliminated. Uh, I think yeah, I think it was five. Or they go down to fifteen and then ten, uh, and then then you you finish the final race. Uh, and yeah, great racing on both the males and females. And then day two was the enduro format. So you're basically doing the same distances. But it's back-to-back triathlon, so no 10-minute break. And again, there was eliminations after each discipline in that one. And uh, some people got eliminated a little bit sooner than you might have thought. Uh, like as in good names? Yeah, exactly. Okay, so we can't name them. We can't name them, no. So uh, even if you've seen the results uh, or seen who wins, I, I know I saw the podium of day one on the men, so I knew who had won, but still... Went back and watched it, and it was brilliant. And they were pumped when they won, weren't they? Yes, they were. They were very pumped. Uh, I've got to say one thing. I've watched it this morning. Mm-hmm. Um, one thing I thought they got a little bit wrong was the finish line shoot. 
Because they had a little, like in the women's in the last day, it was a very exciting finish. Mm-hmm. Um, and they had this little kind of little inward bit. I think it was probably to avoid the transition area, I think. I yeah, know, it was. It, it was just, it was quite a narrow finishing shoot. Yeah. And the girl who got second almost, she got a, mm. it was a close That's finish. Pretty, yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't spoil it. Yeah. It was, it was very close. And yeah, perhaps not. Set That's up pretty minor. Dearly pre- for a sprint finish. What I've got to give them credit for, if something goes wrong on the first day, they fix it for the second day. Oh, really? So for example, coming out of the swim, people were slipping. That was wasn't. Yeah, I did see out, that. Yeah. And then the next day, you watch, and they've got uh, the carpet down. It's it's extremely well presented. Um, I think it's fantastic. The, it's. It's, I'm going to say it's easy to set up when you've got a course like that, one kilometre long. But I like this as well because it's technical. Yeah, you know, like it's not just who's the fittest. You've got to have, you've got to have the whole game, don't you? You do, and and that really comes to the fore. I think more on the second day, you know, the fitness starts to come into it, and the strength and endurance really starts to come into it. A, you've got the fatigue from the first day, but B, that race sort of starts to drag on, and you get some slightly different results from day one. And the cool thing is, you know, what you want from sport is excitement, unpredictability, yeah, yeah. and it's got it all. I just absolutely think this is the future of our sport and you think about non-triathletes watching the stuff they'll be going that's pretty cool I could actually watch this we did an indoor trainer session on Sunday morning it was raining here and two hours just flew by on the trainer just watching it uh, and it was brilliant do you know what it is John? Well, it's a game changer it is a game changer <laughs> it's a game but, but the thing is it, it's, it needs to happen as well doesn't it? It does. You know, like if we're going to appeal to the younger generation, if we're going to mm-hmm. if we're going to get kids into triathlon, if we're going to have a big TV market, you know, like I know the ITU is on big TV, but it's not it's, it's not that exciting. To yeah, watch. exactly. Whereas if I'm if I'm Joe Bloggs on a Sunday afternoon just flicking through some sports channels, this could attract, couldn't it? And it will filter across to Ironman as well. So if we have success at short distance, you get big sponsors on board. Uh, then they, then I think it will trickle down to Ironman, not to the same degree, but I just think this is awesome. Now, Maka is obviously the the face of all this, yep. and he deserves a massive amount of credit. Well, and he he's, he was the original driver too, so you you know, yeah, and and he knows the cronies that are basically funding this. That's that's how this is fun. The cronies are the good people, the, the good people, and I know one of them. I mean, he came out of camp, lovely guy. Um, but this is this is funded by, from from what I can understand. From a few people that have got yep. plenty of money, and they haven't got sponsors labelled all over the place. I'm sure that the the, the, the venues that they go to, not Singapore's not a tax haven, but some of the other ones, you know, there's yeah, there's, yeah, there's, there's plenty money. of money in those places. And, and and I'm not trying to take anything away from Macca, but we do have to remember that this was formed from what happened in Australia in a series that he was. Oh well, uh, no, but I think the in. thing we've got to give Macca credit for is understanding how great that was, and he's brought it back. Yeah, you know. so I've, I've put a couple of links that Bevan's going to put in our show notes of some of the original uh, yeah, Formula, Formula One. One series. Go back and look at them. They're, they're basically the same, and it's absolutely brilliant. And he's reinvented it. It deserves a huge amount of credit, and I just hope that the structures and the funding is in place so this can continue. But it does get on TV, so is it making money? I don't. Well, I don't know, but I, I don't think so. the TV companies pay pay would be paying for it. They'll be. Getting it on, you know, they'll be going. We'll put it on there, but we're not paying for it. I, I doubt it's 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 not like for us in New Zealand like rugby. rugby yeah. The TV companies are paying to have that on. I just think they're getting it massively covered, but I don't. I doubt they'll be making money from it from that aspect. Yeah, I just hope they do. Hmm. You know, because if they can make money, because the thing about it is, 
you get a patron to look after it, the patron's going to be cool for a while, but then yes. they may lose interest. Exactly. You know, we have a really good example in New Zealand hockey. So New Zealand hockey is funded by this guy called Owen Glenn. Partly funded. Well, yeah. you're partly funded, but it gives them a million bucks a year. It helps a lot. Yeah, yeah. And, and most hockey's not a big sport in New Zealand. A million bucks a year from one person is a good little thing. Mm. And now New Zealand hockey's had some issues with coaching, and it's kind of an interesting discussion around this because – it's a bit of an old school coach, maybe struggling mm-hmm. in modern times, but being a very successful coach, so they got rid of him. The, the funder of this guy, or of the guy Owen Glenn gives them a million bucks a year, which is a lot of money in New Zealand sport. Um, he's kind of said, I'm pulling my money out because I'm not quite happy with what's happening here. Mm. Now, that's what the kind of situation you get into. Whereas if Super League can be its own funding thing, where they yep. can get good sponsors, they can get a level of public interest where people would be, or TV companies would be willing to pay, that's you know important oh, yeah. for the stability of it in a long time. Yeah, so hopefully they can get to that point, but it's building and it's uh, it's looking good, you know. And, and not all the top athletes are there, uh, and it's going to be really interesting to see how the how the good Super League athletes um, how they transfer back across to ITU. Obviously, Vincent Louis and Brownlee and the top few are, are going to be um, are always there. But that next rung of athletes, um, like our Kiwi Hayden Wild, has done extremely well in this series. Will he be able to transfer that across to ITU? And so we'll, we'll just have to wait and see on but that. Do you, this, this helps ITU racing. Oh, absolutely. And ITU, to their credit, can see this. Their triathlon TV platform is showing this live for free, which is brilliant. Yeah, I mean, I know you can watch it on YouTube and Facebook yeah. and stuff as well, but uh, they're, they're not trying it. to shut it down or anything like that. Yeah. It's it's acting complimentary. So good work, everybody, on that front. Okay, we also had Ultraman Florida, and good old uh, Chris McDonald took it out. He did, I think. And this was, we just missed this news from last week, but Chris McDonald, uh, age 40, uh, this is like the Kona... Like sexy? Yeah, the Kona-type format. Day one, they, they swim 6.2 miles and bike 92 miles. Uh, he swam 2 hours 40 and rode a 3.56 to have a pretty healthy 12-minute-odd lead after day one. Day two is, uh, on the female side, Jamie Harris was leading after day one by jeepers now 50 minutes or so uh day two is when you do the the massive bike ride 171 miles chris mcdonald went seven hours 53 building his lead by another 30 plus minutes and jamie harris equally she she uh let's say three hours and 20 odd minutes uh in terms of her day two bike time and then day three is when you do the double marathon chris mcdonald went uh 70202 and he won that day as well by the look of it uh by 50 seconds over second place and finished with a total time 21 hours 32 minutes and 54 minutes and jamie harris took out the females in 26 hours 21 minutes winning by nearly five hours four hours 50 minutes so ideal chris mcdonald this is kind of his kind of event just kind of muscles way through he's been a great athlete you know when you think of what he came from oh, he was a hockey player yeah a hockey uh, player and he's, a, and he's a big unit big unit and that's, we're not calling him fat or anything like no, that no, he's, he's, he's just, just a big unit. solid yeah he's a big guy he's, he's quite tall isn't he sorry he's, it would he be about six two six three oh yeah he's just and, big and, and solid and, yeah he's, i mean he's just a guy who's he's a really good example of if you want to be a pro athlete and you're willing to do the work because mm-hmm. you wouldn't have said he was a talented guy no you know, he's just a he's just a grinder, and he's one Iron Man, and he's had a career in the sport. So you've got to give him a lot of credit. Mm. You know, there's a lot of guys out there who have a lot more talent that didn't achieve what he achieved. Exactly. You know, so, so good on him. Uh, uh, Kill sort of things. 
I've, I've mentioned the girls, oh, sorry. things because you're listening so closely. Yeah, right. uh, we also had a, a, a <laughs> half Iron Man over in Australia, one of their non-branded races. They've got a couple over there. They've got the, the this is called the Husky, uh, the Big Husky, and they also have what was the one I mentioned the other day, the one up in Queensland. Uh, I can't remember off the top of my head, but they have several good non-branded, really good non-branded races that get well supported. Craig Alexander's still out there winning races in front of you know, decent fields. Levi Maxwell um, finished in second place, if you recall. Pretty sure he was the fastest age grouper overall in Kona one year and has been racing pro. If he wasn't fastest age grouper overall, he was thereabouts. He's an age grouper. Uh, Joe Skipper was only down fourth, so he took out Joe Skipper as well. So pretty... Pretty solid racing. Yeah, so we seen Wizards half marathon time. They've got the he did one one sixteen. So on still pretty half. sharp on the runners. One sixteen. Uh, Kate Bivalacqua took out the females race. So there you go. It's just the legend is still kind of showing the young fellas how it's done. So good Ironman New Zealand coming up, and John put up a cool stat that Cameron Brown basically put up on his Facebook. Molina's Molina's taking credit here. He was very impressed with this. This is well, it's very impressive. So from Cameron Brown's Facebook feed, he basically put. Uh, his run splits from 1999 through to 2018, so for 19 years, and only one time did he go over 250, uh-huh. other than the time when the weather cut it down to a half. Yeah, and last year he went 241.55, so really quickly run through these, 246, 247, 245, 249, 247, 247, 248, and then there was a half, a half, 249, 243, 247, 252, and then there was a half. 247, 249, 244, 242, 241. So he's in the last two episodes. Episodes. Our last two editions has been his two fastest runs. He's 46 years old, John. Crazy. 46. That's impressive. Because that's the thing. If you'd said to us five years ago, Cam Brown's still going to be racing and still being pretty competitive, mm. you, you're going to, where's he going to start to lose it? Yeah. You're going to go, he's going to lose it in the run. Absolutely. But, yeah. but he's not. And he, but he is slowing down on the, the, the swim of the bike. Yeah. But he's still bloody competitive. He still finished third last year. Uh, and 46. he's still winning races. So, you know, he was only, last year he was only a minute and a half behind Joe Skipper, who went on to finish, what, seventh or eighth or yeah. something like that Top in Kona? Uh, so, very impressive. So, we've got a very strong lineup. And we say this every year, and I, I kind of think maybe we're being a little bit Kiwi biased. No, it's a strong it's, it's good. a strong field. Yeah, no, it's a great so field. Torsten's rating, uh, it says it's a twin in the male side, a 29% of a typical Kona field. And I was like, wonder what that, how that kind of ranks up. And I looked at, at Germany last year, and that was also a 29% field, okay. Ironman Germany. So this and I looked at a couple of on other par. ones, and they, weren't, they were sort of 15 to 25%. It's a good field. You've got. Three. I wouldn't say it's as good as a German field, but I'd say it's not far behind it. Yeah, I, I, I'm not arguing with Torsten. He's got the stats. Well, but, but you're not seeing world champs here. You're not, but you're seeing three or four guys who are legitimate top ten yep, Kona athletes. Totally. Yep, so you've got Terenzo and Braden, who have proven that they're top top ten, and, and Braden, who's top five. Sure, Brownie's been there. He's not there any any longer. You also Andrew Starkowitz, who could be a top ten on his on his day, and Mike Phillips, who he finished what about fifteenth last Tim year. Tim Reid, well. who hasn't really done it in Kona, but he's a quality athlete. Yeah, so really excited to see how this goes also you've got that added element you don't kind of know exactly what game Terenzo's gonna gonna bring because he's had his challenges since it seems like he's back on top top form but the stories keep coming out that he's still battling with um, a few demons from his crash Braden Curry you, you kind of put you probably put your money on him wouldn't you well, Terenzo won when did he crash uh we crashed before Kona the year before last so so last year he won it 
Uh, yeah, but then he crashed in Kona that, that October. Oh. Was it last October? No, no it was middle of last year. Yeah, sorry. Was no, it middle of last, I'm completely Yeah, no, wrong. it was middle of last year, wasn't it? Because yeah. he had a great Ironman New Zealand. He went there sub eight. Yes. And then, you know, we're thinking, geez, I mean, he's going to be competitive. And then he that crash. And we're going to, can he get to Kona? That's right. Yeah. Okay. So and then could, he went on to win Western Australia, didn't he? Yes. Yeah, that's yeah. right. Yep. So, yeah, I'm really intrigued. I th- you kind of got to think it'll be between Braden and Terenzo. Uh, and Braden's swim is such now that he's he's right there yeah. uh, so he'll be amongst it you kind of think Cameron Brown's going to be out of the picture in the swim and, and Torsten's ratings predict him coming in at 50 minutes and 40 seconds compared to the other guys of 46, 47 so I'm sure he'll be he'll come through with a good strong run um, but I can't imagine him uh, going for the for the win potentially and Mike Phillips you know he's just improving all the time he'll be there or thereabouts and Andrew Starkowitz God knows what he's going to do but he's probably going to absolutely light up the bike and you know if he's got 10 minutes plus on the run then he's he's got a chance but on those guys I think he's going to need 12 to 15 to to really stand a chance you can't his predicted run time is three hours and 10 minutes so if he can run three hours then the guys have got to run 245 which is a solid split in Taupo so I'm looking forward to it but I would have thought his bike split would have been better than what well I know Dawson's based on facts but you know 420 Terenzo's only seven minutes behind him Mm, but Terenzo does light it up Quite quite often, yeah. you take Terenzo out of the equation and you look at the others. So you know, it's twelve minutes, twelve minutes, 12 minutes to carry, and you kind of think, yeah, it's, it's possibly about right. About right. Yep. maybe a little bit more. So yeah, exciting men's race and equally exciting females race because again, you got four big hitters who are all proven uh, athletes, not so much at Kona. But elsewhere around the world, Laura Siddle's won lots of races. Teresa Adam, her performances last year in Cairns and Ironman New Zealand were amazing. Meredith Kessler has just won so many bloody races around the world outside of Kona. And Jocelyn McCauley has equally done some amazing performances. So I'm really looking forward to that uh, top four battle there. Four quite different athletes. You've got Teresa Adam and Meredith Kessler who will probably come out of the swim. Now, Torsten's got them five seconds apart out of the swim. They'll likely come out of the swim and... and quite possibly work together and Jocelyn McCauley is going to be in between them and Laura probably and uh, we all game on on the bike and then on the run they're kind of you know somewhat similar all of them so I'm excited it's awesome isn't it it's gonna be a great race that's what we want we want good fields Mm. you know and there's good depth you know we've got a good number of athletes in both fields you know there's it's interesting racing different dynamics in the racing you know like it's not just like a you know, back in the old days, it used to be very much a run one, race. One person really. against Cameron. Yeah, and it, and it was always kind of a run race, really. It was, mm. There was the occasional Uber cyclist, but was it Larson? Who was the guy? Steve Larson came one year and just spanked it off the front. Yeah. yeah. But, um, yeah. No. 53, uh, Torsten's ratings got Terenzo at 53% chance of winning, and Laura Siddle 50%. God, that's hard to argue with. Yeah, so fascinating stuff. Good, and also... Just great to see good old man home man New Zealand boys race, you know, all the top you know, all the top New Zealand guys are here. Mm-hmm. You see who's man oh man on the day. They're in good shape. Yeah, so good times. Uh, and, and it's nice, I suppose, for the New Zealand athletes that we do have this race at this time of year. Because, you know, like if you do want to go into Kona and do it well. But Terenzo's already got a slot, so there's probably only, I just closed my pay window, but I'd imagine there's only one slot, maybe two, probably two on the guy's side. No, but more meaning um, just if you do do well, you can prepare for the year. Mm. You know, mm-hmm. like you get New Zealand done. Don't have to go chasing points does, anymore. Does it have the slots on here? 
Uh, I think Torsten does on there, but I've so let me have a look. closed the window. So, uh, John's ITU update. Um, uh, next weekend is the first round of the WTS series in Abu Dhabi, mixed relay and uh, and a sprint distance race. So look forward to that. Get get yourself signed up on triathlonlive.tv because the mixed relay, I think, is going to get more and more exciting. We already love it, but... As we get Olympic qualifying, I think it's going to get more and more competitive and we're going to see stronger fields and uh, looking forward to that. Lots to look forward to a short course race. Okay, so Ironman New Zealand has one male plus one female plus two U-Pro. So there's the sort of floating ones. So yeah, so there'll definitely be two males and then that third slot will kind of depend how many there are in the fields. Okay, so the and then the total prize money is $60,000 US and it pays eight deep. Mm. So that's good times. Uh, you've talked about the IT race, haven't you? Um, course, course accuracy, or do you want to do that in your high five? I'll do that in high five. Okay, hot topic of the week. Now, before we get into this, we did an amazing hot topic last week, and we did the playlist. And I've made the playlist. Have you listened? I've actually planned. I, 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 I don't want to get. Uh, oh, I got Spotify, so I haven't listened to it yet. Okay. Um, but I'm going to play it during our training session on. Uh, Wednesday morning. Oh, nice. nice. So we'll see, I'll get the feedback from there. Thus far, the feedback has been mixed at best. Mainly, oh, no, 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 I wouldn't say mixed at best. I've had a couple of people saying they're loving it. Yeah, mainly Brian Adams has got to go. And I'm putting my foot down here, Bevan. <laughs> okay, yeah, Brian yeah, so Adams I'll has pull up got to right go. Now. Brian Adams. Everything Swanee I do, Noah. I do for you. Swanee was yanking your chain hey, and you fell hey, for hey, it. I know. I'm loyal. There were two things I didn't do. I didn't put anyone to put really long songs in. Okay. Because some people came up with songs that were like 20 minutes. Oh, jeez. And so I was like, can't, can't do that. But... And I did, I, pretty much I said, everyone's in. It's an open door policy, John. Right. I don't discriminate. So you've only got, you guys have only got yourselves to blame if you don't like the music, but I'm drawing a line, Brian Ames. If I was doing a training session and everything I'd do, I'd do for you came on, I think I'd vomit. John, can I it's remove gone? from playlist? That's it. Remove from this playlist. Brian Ames. You're nothing to us. You're dead to us. <laughs> he's, coming to, he's coming to Christchurch like next week, isn't he? Probably, yeah, probably. Get him on the show. <laughs> playing at a local pub. Oh, that's a terrible song. I don't know why I let that one through. I think last Brian Ames will be playing bigger in a local pub. You reckon? Uh, yeah, no, he'll fill out some bloody wine yard. Um, <laughs> I like it. I, like, like, I went for a run on Tuesday and I listened to it. I haven't, like, the whole playlist, how long is it? The playlist is five hours long. Right. <laughs> so, yeah. It's a long train. <laughs> nearly. So, um, I, I think it'll be a while before I get through the whole thing. There's a little bit of angry rock, but there's yeah. a good mix. Yeah. So, it's definitely, okay. if you're going to say anything, the, the general theme is angry rock. Right, yeah, this is and it is supposed theme. to be an interval session, yep. uh, and so maybe next week, and I'm, we will do the pre-race sort of calm. Get you whatever works for your pre-race. It could be a bit of heavy rock, could be a bit of a. Yeah, I like to calm the farm for the race. Mm. You know, a bit of you know that one, the one song we all know, John, Fat Boy Slim. Yeah, right here, yeah. right now, right here. It's always a winner. Every race you do, emceeing it. It's on, my, it's on my playlist. There you go. See? Yeah. yeah, there you go. So we're doing it next week, are we? This week's discussion. So this week's discussion was, do you think you need to be involved in highly competitive sport as a, at a young age to be a world champion, not just a good pro triathlete? So, you know, we're talking about cream of the crop. John, you can start. Um, I'm just going And it was based on an article that was written. Sent through, for, uh, um, Swanee sent it through, and it was around Sonia Sullivan, who's a very good um, runner. And she was sort of, you know, saying that kids... Getting, getting into things too early, training too hard, breaking down, and not not making it. What yep. is he again? Just, just I'm be, scrolling down. Ben Police, or whatever you say his last name. So, <laughs> it's, got, it's got to go. <laughs> I've tried the I've, I've tried the playlist during an interval session on the train, and while some of the songs weren't necessarily my favourites, I could live with them. But Brian Adams, 
Just no. Ah, Paul Roger Swan. also said Brian Adams. Huge question marks. Uh, and somebody <laughs> Andy said... Andy got just had the best turbo session ever. Tunes are excellent, except for Brian Adams. Ollie Clark. No. First song, Brian Adams. Can you come back from that? <laughs> Oh, yeah. Oh, there you go. Anyhow, a few comments from the from listen. The, the reason why I'm the, the, this is kind of like a nutrition debate almost. There's no right answer, and people are very opinionated on this. Okay. And so what we get, what I've done is we're having Ella Harris on the show to get a little bit of an athlete perspective uh, later on with an interview. Yeah. Uh, she's not a world champion yet, but she's on her way up, and she's had a an interesting sort of build up in her career. And then next week I've got. Um, uh, a guy coming on, and he works in this field around youth. Is uh, that next week or is it the week after? Leave yeah. me next week or the week after. Because we're, we're, we're doing, doing the interview next week, so yeah. but it might be the week yeah, after. Yeah. And he works at High Performance Sport New Zealand around youth development. He actually does a podcast on this as well. Oh, okay, great. Old coach, coach Kylie Cox put me on to him, so I okay. thought, I'll, I'll get him on. I'll start here. We've got Maria Kerr. She's got, isn't it okay not to, oh, wait, it's not okay. Wait a second. It's okay not to become a world champ though, right? No. Not acceptable. <laughs> You've only got one level. Um, Matt Moran, not necessarily for Ironman, but sports where a high level of coordination are required, yeah. such as swimming, golf, tennis, appears to favour those that learnt it from their younger years. Totally agree. Yeah, Mick Simpson's got, yes, there are reasons why the Premier League clubs are paying thousands of pounds for 10-year-olds. They know that you need to be at the right level at that age. It's the same for any major sport. You might not be a specific sport you will to be a world champion in, but except for the occasional outlier like Chrissy, unless you're there at the age of 14 you aren't going to make it agree and disagree on that one Kylie Cox was getting fired so, up so, hey, no, thoughts to the end I will save no. thoughts to the end yeah it's the, the time John. Kylie Cox says there's no evidence to support this theory don't get me started Richard Swanee no he's getting beaten up this week Carter was a schoolboy rower I think only made in cup so he's talking Hamish Carter oh, yes. yep. um, and then was an Olympic champion Nick Willis was a huge proponent of minimal training during high school years so was winning national championships with no little training he is one that supports a wide range of sports activities a good example of that approach is Tom Walsh world champion shot putter but not doing that as a schoolboy and was never very good at cricket or rugby but at school age dominance can help Val Adams won everything as a school-age girl and progressed to Olympic championships, uh, but she has some clear physical advantages at that age. I think like shot put and things, I will just put my two cents in here. Oh, wait, wait. Shot put and, thing, and events like that, I don't, I've, I don't know anybody that's ever done shot put competitively, and, but that's a real strength sport. I don't think you need to be in that from a young age. What do you think about breakdancing at the Olympics, John? That's not the topic for today. Uh, John Hancock came back and said, but Terenzo was won absolutely everything as a schoolboy. Good point. Yeah. Kate McElroy, who is... Uh, she's coming back to John. She's coming back to John. Now, Kate McElroy, she, uh, I think she won a world title at mountain running. Uh, she also represented New Zealand at the Olympics in triathlon. Okay. And now she has also been a New Zealand rep at cycling. And I'm not sure if she went to the Commonwealth Games or not, but she's there or thereabouts. She's, she's been athlete. at a high level. Uh, John Han- Hancock, there are a few outliers that win national titles, etc., at school level and go on to have a successful careers like Terenzo. The general trend, as Sonia's article talks about, is successful juniors don't follow through into the senior ranks due to too much too soon. And Richie Swan and I have got a great discussion going here. John Hancock, true. I think the trend is that a lot of junior success may not prevent later success. But getting into, uh, say, a university age helps. Another example is the Robinson twins, who I am very confident one very... One, uh, very one New Zealand schools cross country, but moved to Kenya straight after school and are now the leading white runners in the world. 
Michael Taylor, at a young age, speed is normally picked up, whereas endurance becomes apparent later in life slash school, etc. Natasha Badman, an example of a late comer. Chrissy Wellington, likewise, was a was good, but not a great junior athlete. This is really fascinating. Okay, sorry. Ken McLaren's got, uh, just look at the history books. Pretty much every world sport is littered with the junior future stars and young champions that really go on to make any significant mark at the senior level. Check out the 15-year-old winners from a decade ago and then see where they are now. The trouble with sport are very reluctant to learn this lesson. In my view, there's a clear combination of the reasons that this are in no particular order. The parents, the school, young athletes, media, the sports and how they're set up, the coaches, the speed of physical development. Most senior championships will have a solid background in sports but results wise during teenage years they aren't much more than likely to be down the ranks but most importantly loving their sport. Having said that junior to senior championships does have something. Does happen sometimes. Yeah it does happen sometimes. Sorry. Last one I'll do um, Neil Hastings. Yes anyone can can anyone name me a world class athlete that wasn't involved in their sport to some degree as a child and that fired a few people up. Chrissy Wellington. Uh, Alison King, Chrissy Wellington, Sam Warner, who was a, a Kiwi triathlete. Um, and then he, Neil Hastings says, aren't we, aren't we talking about present day? Also, pretty sure Chrissy swam as a competitive kid. Uh, and this one went on a little bit back and forth with a few people. So it's anger. a good debate. Darren Eaton's got, um, if you have a look, hard look at the Australian male tennis players over recent years, to see a very ugly side of young people with physical prowess and talent beyond their maturity levels. Yeah, Australian tennis has really have some ugly side of it right now, doesn't it? Australian sport has some ugly sides to it at the moment. Sorry, Aussies. But, no, but, but maybe that's because we're close to Australia. Yeah. Because I'm sure if you go to America, there's some ugly side of it. You know, like I'm sure we're just very close mm. to... Your league players are buffets. <laughs> they are buffets. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, true. They are. Yeah, yeah. But well, the young... No, there's some of them are. Yeah. You know, to say everyone is... is so we've got to try to stay on task here, Bevan, because it'd be really easy to go off and start talking about parenting and, and all these other things. But the, the question was, do you need to be involved in competitive sport at a young age, to be a, a world champion athlete. And I would love to go through and talk to a, a lot more of the the top, top athletes, like in our sport, you know, Brownlee, Gwen Jorgensen, Flora Duffy, Mola, and actually find out what they were doing at, at, in the young ages. I suspect, and of the athletes that I know, uh, they weren't necessarily the best at, at high school and so on, but they were pretty pretty good mm. and they were involved in sports. So uh, just a couple of things. I think you, you do have to firstly get rid of all those outliers in terms of the sports that if you're not in a young age, you've got no hope, like gymnastics, probably swimming to a large degree and a lot of the skill-based sports. I think with those, if you're not in it from a young age, you're, you're history. Um, and there might be a few outliers. By definitions, when I talk youth, I'm talking sort of 14 and under. So that's like, your primary primary school age and then juniors I kind of refer to them as like your high school Young years adults, so yeah. you know sort of 15 through to when you when you finish school um, and so I think it's I, I, I'm keen to explore this topic in a bit more because everybody's got their opinions um, and I think we all know that when we were all at school most of the people that were the best youth athletes uh, they haven't made it but have those that made it, were they pretty good? And there's just, you know, you've got, I don't know how many schools in Christchurch. We all know the champion at our school when we were at primary school. Did one of them go on to make it or not? I don't know. Um, my opinion is that for in our sport, in Ironman, 
I don't think it's particularly important that you were good at school, uh, even at high school. I think Ironman is much more about physiology and attitude and then getting yourself in the in the right environment. And there's lots of examples at Ironman, and they're not just out. World champion, but... Sorry? Well, you know, I could reel off quite a few world champions. But have we had many world championships who, who went swimmers? Well... Chrissy, there's one. Okay, yes. Craig Alexander, there's another. Was he not a swimmer? No, he played soccer when he was at school. Okay, okay. Um, and there's so, quite. So the answer is yes. Yeah, the, I, I, I could go through the list and like Tim DeBoom, P- Peter Reed. I don't think they were champion athletes when they were juniors. Yep. I'm sure they were involved in some sport. So I think at Ironman, I think you definitely can get away with it and uh, you can develop a lot later because it's a sport that you mature at for most people when you're a bit older. So there's, I think there's quite a few examples there. And again, in our sport in short course, I think you're really going to struggle if you're not involved in competitive sports at high school. Youth, you need to, uh, in my opinion, you need to be getting your foot in the water um, and you need to be swimming regularly um, and you do need to be starting to get yourself into a competitive environment. But, uh, and, and again, this is, we're not talking about parenting or anything here, but I think you'll find that most world champion athletes, in my opinion, when you go back and look at what they were doing when they were 10 to 14, they would have been getting into some competitive sport and through high school, they may not, may not have been champions, but that would be good. And I've got a few little examples of people that I know personally that have done well. So Bevan Doherty is one. He was a, not an Olympic champion. He won a world championship. He got two Olympic medals in triathlon. Um, he was pretty competitive at sport through high school. Finished second, uh, I think it was, at the New Zealand Cross Country Champs in his last year in high school. Was doing sport all the way through high school and, and, and had a was in an environment which, which was uh, good. He also did a variety of other sports, um, but he was somebody who needed that 10,000 hours. He didn't peak. He peaked sort of in his mid to late 20s, um, but he had that 10,000 hours on board. And he So he was involved in competitive sport early on, and he went on to do some you know, amazing things. The other good example is Andrea Hewitt. She came to the triathlon relatively late. Um, what did she win? I think she won the under tw- was the under twenty three world champs. She won. She and came so, from Surf Life Saving. Yeah, didn't she? so she, I think she got into it when she was probably about twenty one ish, maybe twenty two. Um, but prior to that, she'd been a swimmer for years and she at a high level and not necessarily. I don't think she was winning national titles, but you know she was a swimmer kid who was swimming, yeah, you know, a lot of times a week, and then she was very successful at Surf Life Saving. So. Highly competitive sport, building up that big engine uh, as she was going through her school years and that sort of transferred across. So I think by and large in triathlon, uh, and if we just use triathlon as an example, I reckon you need to be into sports pretty decently at a youth age, pretty seriously, not necessarily winning your national titles at a high school age, but you need to be pretty involved. It's becoming a younger and younger person's game. And when you have people like Hamish Carter, that, that... Ship sailed. You know, he didn't get into it till he was an adult, or until he was in his again into his early twenties. But I don't think you can get away with that anymore. My thoughts are it, it was very sport dependent. Oh, totally. Sport you know, dependent. like like you know, like a more skilled sport, you do need to be a kid. Mm. You know, because those those now again, they might you know, like a James um, Shane Bond in cricket, he started late. Mm-hmm. So there, there is going to be the slight outlier in in other sports, but I think it's the bell curve, Bevan. It's the bell curve, but in Many sports. The more skilled the sport, the more the younger you have to be. I think. Yeah. You know, what I mean, and the thing about triathlon, particularly Ironman, is the skill level is pretty low. Yeah. You know, like you know, even Ironman swim. You know, you can pick up swimming and get good enough. 
Good enough. Yeah, good enough. Whereas, you know, like you're not going to become like a, a, an Olympic swimmer if you mm-hmm. start, what's, you, you know, your career's pretty young anyway. But so for me, it's, it's very much about the sport um, and, you know, yeah. And then because also some sports, you don't need big work ethic. Yes, yeah, yeah. So again, we're blinkered by endurance sports. Yeah, because endurance sports, we, what the trait we do bring is that ability to work. Hmm. You know, and it's one of our real skills, or it's not a skill, but it's that kind of character trait of we love hard work. And it's, you know, and so we kind of, and because your skill improvement's such a minor kind of part of the detail, you don't really put much focus on that. Whereas in some sports where, People aren't actually that hard working, you, yeah. you know. They just have a, a bit of a, a. Have you read the Sports Gene? No. That's oh, a great book. Um, and the Sports Gene talk about this guy who was a high jumper, and he won the world championship. And literally, he was at university, and they were going to um, was it high jump or long jump. I think it was high jump. Um, or no, I think it was a three set run, three set jump. Mm. And he turned up and he said, "I can beat these guys." And he'd never done anything in his life, but he just had these freakish Achilles tendons. Right? Yeah, like it was just a freak of nature, basically. Yeah. But he never improved. Mm. And then, and they kind of in this, the sports gene, they do the competitive, the ten thousand hour thing. So the guy who was the world champion before him was the guy who grafted, you know, done ten thousand yeah. hours. And the reason I'm successful is because I've done hard work. And then this guy comes out of nowhere. But there's the other guy. He won the world championship once, but then never went there so you know it's it's a really interesting discussion isn't it it is and i think yeah it's always that you know you got the pushy parents who are pushing their kids into sport and and i think we all know examples those kids aren't aren't going to make it but do some of them actually make it and is that what some is is that required is that required because motivation always isn't a positive thing Mm. a lot of people hate themselves Mm. hate themselves as athletes um so the pushy parents sometimes get a really bad rap I think rightly so in terms of, um, but is that required if you want to get that champion, champion well, look athlete? look at Tiger Woods. I Tiger read... Woods, Lance Armstrong, um, Andre Agassi. They, yeah, it's not necessarily making the best human beings. No. And not necessarily the best thing for them, but is that required uh, um, to get to the top? And I don't know. I'm just kind of on the fence on it a little bit. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because the, the question isn't, are we making great people? The question no, is, are we creating champions? Mm. And what does it? Well, there's no one formula about it, is there? No, there's not. You know, because as much as there's the Tiger Woods of the world and, and the Lance Armstrongs who are kind of lacking ethics, there's, I mean, there's plenty of champions who are great people. Mm. You know, so it's you know, there's not you know, look at Richie McCaw. Mm-hmm. You know, you hear another bad word about this guy. He's, he's a champion person. You know, he's the greatest rugby player of all time. Yeah. So I love this because it's much like the nutrition. Everybody thinks they've got the answer, but I don't think there's one right answer. But but I think I do think it, it helps if the kid has an enjoyment for the sport. But, yeah. but then Andre Agassi, mm-hmm. he hated the sport. Mm-hmm. You know, and look at Nick Kyrgios. Mm-hmm. You know, he, he what a life to live. You hate what you do, but you, you don't know him. He's an Australian tennis player. Oh, everyone knows. Yeah, he's a, it keeps you entertained. Yeah. For some reason, his bloody stuff shows up on my Facebook feed. I've got rid of it now, but I kept getting all these sponsored things. I'm like, why is that showing up here? Oh, really? Uh, anyway, next week, uh, next week or the week after, we're going to get a guy on, and he's going to talk to us a bit more about. The research that has actually gone into us. We've just expressed our opinions, but actually, hopefully, we have a few more of the stats. Um, I think, in general, obviously, the, the the youth development in terms of playing the numbers game and getting the most out of uh, every single person is to have that more supportive environment and letting the kids kind of lead lead a little bit more. But, but is that true? Is that true? Is that true? Yeah. Uh, you know, like going back to the hockey discussion we were having earlier, you know, one thing that you know, like. 
what's happening now is that the old school coaches are going to get pushed aside because yes. you know we're not treating people nice. Yes. I mean, some people are going to say, "Oh, it's PC crowd." Yes. Um, but now the players are starting to take control. Mm-hmm. You know, so now the players are having more influence on how things are run. Now, does it will be really fascinating to see what that means in the future? Does that actually lead to better success? Mm-hmm. We don't. We, we, I don't know. Mm. But it's a, it's fascinating times, isn't it? It is. Yeah. This week's discussion. So, oh, I think this is a gold one. So, do you know if she's trying to? Well, this was this came out. Maybe say what we're okay. So, about so first. basically, the discussion is: if Lucy Charles were to take the gamble on going to the Olympics, uh, if you were Lucy Charles, sorry, would you take the gamble of going to the Olympics, trying just, to make it to the Olympics, trying to make it to the Olympics, or just sticking with long course racing? Now, I know there was talk about she she was thinking about it. I believe I saw somewhere a while ago. I just thought that's a interesting discussion coming out of like Super League last week you know she's on a good wicket she's doing really well she's got you know she's second in the world at both 70.3 and so marketable. marketable probably making really good money yeah. uh, do you take the gamble at Olympic distance anybody else I'd say you're a fool because you're not going to make it but because she's a good swimmer she should be able to make front pack and her running is seems to be coming along quite nicely and so you know do you take the gamble of going for Olymp- a, making the Olympics, and B, who knows, potentially an Olympic medal, or do you stick with the tried and true? Well, we, we, we'll talk about this next week, because we, we all have our opinions, don't we, John? We, yes. yes. Like politics. Politics and opinions. What's your, what's your thoughts on a capital gains tax, John? I'm all for it. Yeah, so am I. I think but it's, it's, not, it's not going to happen, so they're trying no. to bring a capital gains tax. This is what annoys me. Don't get me started, Bevan. But that's Labour, mate. You're, you're national. Yeah, but... Simon, you're, you're moving bridges. Yeah, I am, I am. He's like, he's like, it's against ambition. Don't get me started. <laughs> but anyway, it won't happen because it's politics yeah. and they won't, they'll get voted out. It if suits me, don't. but I actually think it should happen, but it suits me. It's good for me, but I, you know, the politics, John. <laughs> there we go. Sponsor. Extreme endurance. Listen up to this. I'm listening. Oh, 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 okay. Wait a second. Kevin, there's a job for you. Well, you, you put here, can I extract the sound? And the answer's no. But I can oh, put you, the mic to the thing. Okay. Do you want me to do that? Do that. Okay, wait a second. Make sure it's nice and loud. Wait a okay, wait. You keep talking for a second. So, Extreme Endurance, use your promo code IMTALK25. Uh, it especially works wait, at the dot .eu and the UK page. Uh, you've got any challenges with okay, the .com? Can't hear anything. Bevan, I can't hear anything. You're nothing so to plan. me. Turn the sound plan. up. It just made an ugly sound on my mic, and wait a second. Okay, wait a second. I'll start again. Here we go, this time. This is amazing professional work. Hi, Robin here to talk to you about Omega Plus D3. Omega Plus D3 is a comprehensive formula containing a superior blend of triglyceride form omegas with very high levels of EPAs and DHAs, plus 4,000 IUs of vitamin D. EPA and DHA are fatty acids commonly known as omega-3 fats and are the most important nutrients in omega oils. These two nutrients play a big role in supporting heart, eye, and brain health. Studies have shown that triglyceride form of omega-3 is better absorbed by the body than the commonly used ethyl ester form. Vitamin D3 helps maintain healthy bones and teeth while supporting the immune system, brain, and nervous system. Omega-3 is taken daily, one capsule in the morning and one capsule at night. Find out more about Omega Plus D3 and other X-Endurance products at xendurance.com. She did a really good job, but she was shaking when she held that oil. <laughs> oh, she, she was a bit nervous. <laughs> so it's 3495 you get your 25% discount off that. And uh, we talk a lot of uh, opinion on the show, not always fact. 
but we know there's plenty of research out there to support uh, omega-3 intake and improving your overall well-being so check it out xendurance.com check 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 it out xendurance.com guys okay Joel we've got an interview of Ella Harris she is a world champion swift rider well she was last year whether you call it world champion or not she was the, the champion well, that's of in the world. swift and the female side of it, and she started in our tri program down here in Christchurch when we started. Mate, you God, can take all the credit. Must have been. Oh, this is when you started ten, the about program. Ten years ago, probably. You started the program. She was one of the first kids. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. Yeah, I'd say it would have been about ten years ago because that would make she's twenty now. It would make her ten. About right. Okay, good times here is Ella Harris. Ready, hope Bevan. Yep, we're good to go. Right, guys, you heard earlier in the show us discussing uh, our thoughts on what sort of might make youth champion athletes. And we've got one athlete here. She's not at the top of the world yet, but she's on her pathway to getting there. And for all you Zwifters out there, if you recall from last year, uh, we would have talked about it as well. Uh, They had a a, a global search on Zwift to find uh, some female athletes to go on um, one of the pro teams. And I guess uh, Ella Harris came out on top. So uh, she's now racing with a pro cycling team. So welcome along to the show, Ella. Thank you very much for having me. Now, fill us in on how old you are, Ella, just so people get a bit of perspective on where you're at. Uh, so I'm 20. 20. Oh, those are the days, John. Yeah. Wow, those are the days. <laughs> 21 years ago for us, 22 for you. Yeah, well, Ella was, I'm not sure how, how old she was, but she was one of our, almost one of our founding members uh, in our junior program here in Christchurch doing triathlon. Her oh, mum, really? mum was helping out with a bit of coaching and helping me out with a bit of admin stuff. So I've known Ella, not since she was in nappies, but not uh, <laughs> not too far away. So um, Tell, tell us a little bit, I've just said you've, you obviously did a bit of uh, try in your youth. Tell us a bit about what you did when you were sort of maybe in that 10 to 14 year age group, which is you know what I tend to classify as youth. So what were you up to then? Um, so I started off really just running when I was probably 9 or 10. Um, my mum got me into it um, because she used to go out training in the evenings um, and I sort of was coaxed along with her and at first I didn't really enjoy it but um, I sort of I grew to really love running Um, so I did uh, lots of cross-country events for Sumner Running Club in Christchurch Um, and I did all the schools athletics champs um, Canterbury cross-country champs I was in like the um, the Canterbury primary schools cross-country team for four years in a row Um, I did a few national cross-country events and road races um, and I sort of, in that time, I also got into triathlon um, just through entering the primary schools, um, the Canterbury Champs mm-hmm. um, in Christchurch. So mum also encouraged me to do that. Um, I hadn't really been on a bike too much, but yeah, we just used her old road bike and gave that a whirl um, and I ended up winning it. So yeah, I sort of got into triathlon more and more and then through the triathlon program um, with the Canterbury Tri Club. Um, and then I did a few national champs for triathlon as well. Um, and, yeah, that was just when I was living in Christchurch, really, from probably age 10 to 15. I just did cross-country and triathlon, really. Yeah, just regional and national events. So how, how hardcore were you in terms of your training? Like um, you said, you went out with runs with mum, but were you, we, we obviously had you know a couple of sessions a week over summer sort of doing tri stuff. But how hardcore were you with your, with your other training? I think I probably ran most days um, because that was sort of my main passion. The cycling 
it more came naturally to me. Um, I didn't really do much riding at all. I might have done maybe one or two rides after school and then a ride on the weekend. Um, the swimming was probably three or four times a week. I wasn't one of these um, kids that had been swimming since they were five, so I wasn't into that routine of getting up at 5 a.m. and going to swim squad. It was more an after-school sort of thing, um, which was more the downfall of my triathlon, actually. I couldn't <laughs> swim as well as everyone else. But, um, yeah, I think at high school, though, I did the Christchurch Schools cycling program, so I did that every Wednesday, but that was sort of the extent of it, really. I didn't push myself too hard, um, and my parents didn't push me either. It was more just fitting in everything around school, and it didn't feel like a chore at the time either it was just oh yeah let's go running today oh maybe not tomorrow sort of thing like it wasn't structured in any way at all and at that time did you have ambition to move towards kind of the the athlete's life or was it kind of just you know more of a hobby fun thing um I think I always had an ambition of just trying to take it as far as I could I think my first biggest goal for sport was to get a scholarship to the U.S. that was my number one big aim and it was more focusing towards national events that I was doing at the time. Like I didn't really look at the bigger picture so much apart from, you know, maybe going to the States for college, which was quite a pipeline dream at that stage. It was quite a wee way off. Um, but yeah, I didn't focus too much on the bigger picture. Obviously everyone always dreams of the Olympics and the Commonwealth games. Um, and that, that would have, um, yeah, I would have really, have loved to have done that, um, thinking back on it, um, about what I was thinking at the time. But, um, yeah, I was just more focused on on the present and just each event I had coming up, really. So, so sort of going through high school, you said you're doing, you're still doing a bit of variety there. Did, um, did your, your training stay all the way through high school, you know, somewhat unstructured, or did you really start to hone in, like with your running, doing, you know, getting coaching and track running and all that sort of stuff, or was it still pretty ad hoc and just kind of doing what you felt like doing? Um, well, once I started high school, um, my dad was actually, he coached me quite a bit, um, and then I ended up going through um, – I've been through a few coaches now, well, since then, um, but I initially started with um, James Kugler from Auckland and he sort of showed me the ropes and he was my very first coach um, and just gave me general structure. But again, it was I was still young, so it wasn't very disciplined or it was just more um, how you feel sort of thing. Um, yeah, you can go and ride for a couple hours on Saturday, um, that sort of stuff, but yeah, and it wasn't until I moved to Dunedin, really, and I started focusing on my cycling a bit more that um, we started to look at cycling coaches, and that was when I actually um, got quite a bit more structure to my program. Um, so it was more um, like every day I'd have a set session and I'd actually do them, mm-hmm. um, whereas before it was just, um, oh, yeah, you might like to try this sort of thing. But it wasn't until I got a cycling coach that it was um, – a bit more serious and I feel like I was a bit more committed as well. Well, it wasn't like I was, I wasn't committed previously. It was just, I wasn't, I was seeing it. I was seeing more of the fun side of it rather than the actual, all right, let's knuckle down and really improve sort of thing. I I wasn't really um, doing everything I could to actually improve. I was more doing it for the love of it, I guess. 
But I still am. <laughs> and what were the challenges like going through high school? You know, um, lots of sporty kids, you know, will probably resonate with this. You know, there's, you're missing out on, sometimes missing out on other parts of life. But, but also part of the reason this discussion came up was John Hancock was talking about his son and he had, you know, at times when he was growing really rapidly, he sort of struggled a bit. So, I mean, did you have any sort of major challenges as you were going through your sort of schooling years or did you see other athletes that were going pretty hard? core that and some of the challenges that they went through more so at secondary school when you see you know so many kids dropping out of sport Mm. um I think for me the biggest challenges I probably had um were just injuries rather than the mental side of things or school becoming too much because um I was always I never did badly at school I was always just I could always just do well but I perhaps I didn't concentrate on the schoolwork as much as I should have um, just because I, I tended to get results rather than having to actually try. So that meant that I, I focused on my sport a little bit probably too much. But um, at the same time, the I think the only real challenges I had were the injuries. Um, and back then when I had knee issues and heel issues and all sorts of um, injuries generally associated with um, growing. I didn't really focus on the um, on like the appropriate measures to to get better sort of thing. Like I didn't do any stretching or I'd go to a physio and I wouldn't actually focus on what they were telling me to do just because at that age I wasn't really <laughs> interested in that sort of thing. Like I just wanted to do the sport. Um, but yeah. I think that was. I think injuries were the only real issue I had, um, and I think everyone sort of is in a similar boat at that sort of age. The thing about cycling and, and kind of triathlon, it's quite a time-hungry sport. And I know as a child you're probably not doing as much as what a lot of adults do, but we see a lot of cyclists that, I mean, sorry, swim kids, that, that kind of lacking other aspects of their life because they're so committed to swimming. Uh, was that something you experienced, and if so, how did you manage that, or did you kind of have a good balance at that time? I think I was, I think I had a pretty good balance. Um, I wasn't, I wasn't really too interested on in doing anything else outside of school. Um, I wasn't unsociable, but in the same respect, I was just really focused on my sport. So I wasn't interested in um, maybe hanging out with friends as much as other people might be. So it wasn't really an issue time-wise because I'd always find time to do sport because I was generally quite motivated by it and wanted to get out on my bike or go to the pool so yeah it wasn't it wasn't really an issue for me but I think other people definitely do struggle with that aspect hmm. um, but yeah it's a it, hard one <laughs> it's just you know like you, you've kind of you know you've made that step into that next level from being a, a, a talented young kid into being you know moving towards a professional career for the kids who maybe kind of went with you and have kind of fallen by the wayside why do you think some of the we lose those kind of kids I think it's definitely to do with um, just that transition from high school to university. And at university, there isn't um, as much structured sport um, and you don't have people pushing you to do sport. Whereas um, at school, there are schools events. Um, you can aim towards like the national champs or um, regional events. And the school teachers always and the sports coordinators that are always encouraging you to sign up for sports. And I think once that pressure is taken off to actually do some exercise and there might be 
other distractions um, that come with uni, then people are less motivated to actually continue with the sport and they've almost actually got to um, they've got to try for themselves mm. to organise it. So find a club or go to races themselves. They don't have a teacher organising it for them. Um, yeah. So I think that's one thing. And then it's also just just generally growing out of sport, I think. I think it's as you get older, you sort of you feel less motivated to be outdoors and do the things that you might have once used to do. So, yeah, I think it's just people eventually realizing that the sport isn't really going to take them anywhere, or it might they might not reach. It might be harder to reach the dreams that they'd once envisaged when they were ten, like the Olympics. Yeah. So yeah. they don't really think it's worth it. Um, yeah. But yeah. When you, um, I know when you were pretty young, um, you did a f- quite a few long events. This is just from memory, and I can't remember what age you were. Did you did you cop much flack at the time, or did you perceive that you got much flack from from doing? Uh, I just seem to recall you may have done a half marathon when you were really young, or some long running races. Did did, did you perceive much negative feedback, maybe from bitchy parents and things like that, or not? I never did a half marathon. That was actually the big goal of mine, but. Um, <laughs> Never ticked it off. I was always into um, 10K races, though. Yeah. 10 and 5K races, those are my um, my big things. Um, and I think other parents at the time, I probably didn't notice it as much because I, didn't, I was a bit carefree back then. Um, <laughs> but I think the fact that no other kids my age were doing it was probably a sign of the fact that maybe it wasn't seen as a good thing to do for kids back then. And there were lots of other girls my age that would talk to me about the races that I was doing, um, but they'd never actually enter them themselves, even though they were very accessible races. Like it was just the Christchurch Marathon 10K or just a race in Christchurch that anyone could go to, yet they'd do the kids' races Mm. um, and I'd do the 10K. So I think although it wasn't noticeable at the time, I think parents were probably sort of questioning it a little bit, but it wasn't like – it was my parents forcing me into it. It was it was my own decision, and I enjoyed the longer races. I think I've always loved doing more endurance-style things, even though 10K is not really endurance, but back then it was for me. Um, so I think I'm following what I enjoyed. With, with regards to parents, um, what, what would be your advice, you know, like uh, to parents who are listening to this who have kids who are around 10 and they want to get into endurance sport, like how do you make, how, how would you advise them to kind of navigate their kids through the experience? So A, they can experience success, but B, kind of not scar them in the long term. Yeah, it's, it's a tricky one. Um, I think it's not really the parents guiding them into it. It's more um, just the, the kids wanting to do it for themselves. And I think, um, it's just it's just about managing it. So if they want to do a 10K race, that's fine. But if they want to do a half marathon, maybe do a 10K race first sort of thing. Not take giant steps, just ease into it and then still enjoy it because once you get past the point where you're not enjoying it anymore, it's just it just loses any value really. Um, so I think it's all just, just easing into it slowly and not – putting any pressure on the kids and if they want to do it then that's fine but also putting it in perspective and thinking oh yeah this might not be ideal for a 14 year old or a 10 year old Mm. and it's just yeah I think it's a bit of common sense as well. 
So, so we're talking to you in Christchurch, where you used to be from, and you're over in Girona, and um, it's in Spain, isn't it? Girona, I'm sure yeah, it is. Spain, yeah. <laughs> um, and it's where Frodo lives, isn't it? It is. Yeah, there's lots of <laughs> lots lots of famous people there. Um, now, tell us, you, you got over there courtesy of winning a global Zwift challenge, which I think there was over <laughs> five thousand females doing it, which is which is amazing. So, tell us a bit about um, cycling before you went on this Zwift challenge, and also um, were you a regular Zwifter before, and, and how and what sort of motivated you to to take it on? Um, so, my cycling before this was just slowly building towards hopefully getting to the level that I've somehow found myself at now, really. Um, I, I was racing for a local domestic team, um, and I'd done a few international races. So I'd been to the US, Australia, um, and I'd represented New Zealand a couple times in the just in the elite um, women's team and in the under-19 development team. Um, so I was sort of – I was making slow progress, but I was getting some good experience – um, and I knew that deep down I had the physical ability. I just had to somehow get the experience and get the exposure. Um, so this year I was actually aiming to do a bit more racing in the US and also um, get to Europe and do a few races in Europe and just see where that took me. Um, but I saw – I'd actually come back from the US and I saw that the Zwift Academy um, – the entries had opened for it um, and initially I wasn't going to do it but a friend actually reminded me that it had started so I thought oh yeah um, I'll, I'll give it a go um, and before that I had I'd been on Zwift quite a bit um, because I had an elbow um, injury so I was on Zwift for five weeks um, just recovering from that but I hadn't really Taken and, and you live in Dunedin, which is like a bloody <laughs> freezer. It's a, it's a popsicle. <laughs> yeah, so I'd been on Zwift quite a bit in the winter, um, but Zwift for me was more just if it's really cold outside or there's no way I can go out on the road, then I'll go on Zwift. But it wasn't like I'll go on Zwift over going outdoors sort of thing. Um, so my main motivation to get on Zwift for the academy was to win, but like you never actually think you're going to win. <laughs> it's just one of those things that you think, oh, yeah, it would be amazing to win, but you never actually think it's going to be you until slowly you make progress through the competition. Um, but, yeah, it was definitely just jumping on Zwift to give this competition a go and see how far I could get, really, because obviously it's a life-changing prize, and I was all in for that, so <laughs> just gave it a go, really. So what, what, tell us – I don't actually know much about what you had to do, so what, what, tell us about the process. So initially you start off doing, you have to complete the Zwift Academy. So that's just the very first phase. Um, so I think for just, yeah, um, uh, under four, under 5,000 people signed up for that. Um, I don't actually know how many completed it because it's 16 um, workouts on Zwift. Um, so you do, you do eight workouts, two races, and four group rides that you've got to complete to then say that you've finished the academy. Okay. Um, so four of those workouts are actually max power tests. Well, they've, they've got max power tests included. So there's like a 25-minute test, sorry, 20-second test, um, a five-minute test, 
a 10-minute test and a one-minute test, I think. So that's basically what the coaches look at to determine your potential, really. And then there are just um, six other really tough erg workouts that you've got to complete, along with just the the token gesture um, group ride, which is pretty leisurely, (laughs) um, and a couple of races. But, yeah, it's just the workouts that they look at, really. And then from there, they select a top 10 for the semifinals. So the semifinals, they were pretty tough. You do... Um, it was seven sessions in total, so there was another race in there, um, which was more just adding another session and really just um, a bit more time on Zwift. And then there was four workouts on the erg and three, no, two on the road. So the one of the workouts on the road was a 12-minute max power test and a three-minute max power test in the one session. No. 14, I think, yeah, something like that. It was hard anyway. Um, And then there was a couple of other tests on the ERG, um, which included a session that was two times 12 minutes max, um, back-to-back pretty much. So, yeah, that gave the coaches a fair idea of um, physical strength and ability, that's for sure. Um, But then from there they select a top three, and the top three go to Spain, and then... Um, at the finals in Spain, we were with the actual team at their team camp, and we did four more various challenges there, um, and they eventually selected a winner. So, wow. yeah, that's it in a nutshell, really. It was quite a long, drawn-out process, very mentally and physically draining, but got there in the end. <laughs> and in terms of you winning overall, um, I, I didn't watch all of the challenges you did over there, but I don't think you won all of them. So how much was it weighted on whoever won, uh, you know, the, in terms of produced the most power or, or won the races compared to potential age, attitude, etc.? Mm, it was quite interesting. So we did we did four tests um, when we were over there, well, like four test sort of sessions. We did a ramp test on the ERG. We did a race on Zwift. We did a lead out challenge um, on the road, so that was that was just bike handling, um, positioning, um, how well you can follow instructions, that sort of thing. Um, and we also did a hill climb test. So I th- I think I yeah I was the best in the in the ramp test, so I got the best power numbers there. Um, in the hill climb, it was interesting because I finished second, um, but in terms of watts per kg, the lady that beat me. Um, she was a lot lighter, so she flew up the hill. Mm. Um, but then she perhaps had weaknesses um, in bike handling, so they looked at that. Um, and she probably didn't do the lead outs as well as um, me and the other girl could do them. Um, and then the Zwift race, that's a little bit um, subjective because uh, it's a race on Zwift and the tactics are completely different when it comes to Zwift racing. Mm. So you might have a really high power output for the race, but get 10th. Yeah. Um, and I don't think the race tactics were necessarily applicable to actual racing in real life. Mm. Um, so yeah, that, that was a bit of a subjective one. Um, but then, yeah, the other, the other two, the other three, sorry, were fairly clear cut tests. Um, but then, they actually had a big team meeting with all the riders, um, all the staff, all the um, support crew that were at the camp, and they had a big discussion about who they wanted to actually have on the team because 
at the end of the day, they've got to be yeah, staying <laughs> with the person. Yeah. So they've actually got to be able to get along with the person. So they had a big discussion about that. And did in you, the end, did I, you know that was happening? Because it's, you know, it, it's a popularity <laughs> contest. So like, that must be a horrible thing yeah. to confront as well. Yeah, well, we knew it was happening and we knew it was going to happen. But it happened um, right before the announcement, actually. So we were waiting to go outside to have the announcement and we were just watching them in this big room and they were still discuss, um, discussing it and sort of arms were going up in the air sort of thing. Oh, no. um, and I think they had a, they decided pretty quickly that um, one of the finalists, um, that they, what well, they didn't want one of the finalists. So it was between me and the other girl from New Zealand. Um, and I think in the end it was a 50-50 vote um, in the room, but um, the coaches and the team management had the final say, and I think it just came down to um, physical ability. Well, it must have just come down to physical ability. Um, so, yeah, that's what clinched it for me, really. But, yeah, it was very much team dynamic and how well you'd fit into the team. Wow. So I know it's very early days now, um, but and, and I know you know in men's professional cycling in the peloton, if you're on the UCI tour, if you're on a pro team and you're at Tour de France, you're making pretty good money, and if you're at the top, you know you're making millions. What's it like for for females in terms of you know I know you you hardly even started, but but can you yeah. make a sustainable living from what you're doing from from what you've seen you know thus far? To be honest, I have no idea really um I don't know how much anyone else is getting paid on the team I mean I'm getting I get all my expenses covered um bar food so the money I do get I mean it's not a lot but Mm. (laughs) it'll get me by for sure it's just the way I see it is that I don't have any expenses um and all I have to pay for is just what I want to eat um so it's just it's pretty cost free for me really so any money I get is a bit of a bonus but yeah I I do get a small amount um it's not great and it's certainly not something that you'd be able to live off forever Mm. um but in saying that I I think the right some of the um the uh, better riders on the team well the more um what's the word the more um well-known riders and the, yeah established um i'd say they'll be on a lot more than me and also what well, they will be um but the uci regulations for female teams are actually coming in next year so they have to teams are expected to pay a minimum salary if they want to be considered as a world tour team for females so nice. that'll definitely shake things up but and how, how yeah. long is the contract for so my contract's for a year but okay it'll be, there's a chance for it to be renewed. And the last two Zwift Academy winners have had theirs renewed. So I've just got to do everything right and (laughs) not annoy too many people. And then, yeah. What does this year look like? Like, have you got a a roadmap planned in terms of what races you're going to do? Um, Yeah, so I've got a general idea of what races I'm doing. I've got a couple of races in Belgium coming up. Um, a couple of tours. I've got the tour of Yorkshire, um, tour of Colorado, hopefully towards the end of the year. Um, but I'll also be going home for a break in June, which will be nice. Cool. Um, but yeah, it's I've got quite a few um, different races, um, which will be good for experience. So I can just try them all out really. Um, 
races everywhere and lots of different sorts. So it'll be good, yeah. Ah, exciting times here. So if people want to follow you, you know, how can they um, follow what you're up to and maybe just give your, your team a bit of a plug so people know, if, you know where they might be able to see what you're up to? Yeah, so the team is um, Canyon Stram Racing and we're on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, um, just all social media really. Um, and I'm also, I'm mainly on Instagram. That's my, my go-to at the moment, um, but I'm on Facebook as well. That's what the kids are doing, John. It's the, the gram, they call it, the gram. <laughs> yeah. The gram is the way to go, yeah. yeah. There you go. Nice. Awesome. Well, all the best with your career. It's fantastic to see uh, yeah. Christchurch people smoking it on the world stage. Yeah. And um, and we know, that I think the reason we got, we got you on, John Hancock, remember this e- email you'd sent, I think what it was, from what we could recollect, was you'd won a competition to basically stalk um, Terenzo Bozzoni at the, um, maybe it was Ironman or something like that, and you went round oh, and, yeah. and you were filming him or something like that at yeah. Man, and he was he was most impressed with you as a young girl so nice work sounds about right <laughs> <laughs> cool have a great season and we look forward to cool. following Thanks your progress awesome man. Thanks for your time. pretty cool pretty cool experience eh? imagine you know who would have thought swift would lead to a career i know and i'm just I'm wondering kind of curious, we didn't ask her how many people enter it well no there was uh i think it was five thousand st- signed up for the academy as she said, wow. I was listening. Blinda says I don't listen, but I listen. <laughs> <laughs> it's not good when your wife tells you you don't listen. It's quite regular. Um, <laughs> uh, anyhow, I'm wondering when she does make it big, whether I should get some sort of commission payment. I reckon you probably five percent. You know, yeah, five percent. That's only fair. That's what I'm thinking. Because that's what some coaches do, do don't they? Like they'll take twenty percent of your earnings. Yeah, um, normally a prize money, I yeah. think it is. Um, so, you know, often charge a rate and then a and, and percentage, percentage rate. Yeah, because mm. it wasn't Soto talk about 20, wasn't it? I, I, he did, I th- but I, I, I don't think I seem to recall. Okay, John, one, two, three, four. Ha-fa. I'm going to need another five here. I've only got four. I didn't finish I'll this make one last up. I'll week. I'll make one up. So, uh, this is a few random things that I forgot about last week from Challenge Wanaka. Firstly... I've got to do a retraction because a few people gave me grief on Facebook and uh, Hannah Wells, who won the event down there, I think I said that she finished third at the Tauranga Half Ironman when in fact she won it. Oh, John. So several people went on there. get your facts right. And I'm not trying to pass the buck, but I just seem to recall Mark Watson saying that she finished third there, but I'm probably wrong. Where did you see Mark Watson? Well, he was down there commentating and I was listening to his commentary. Great commentator. It's just so, so good. He was a good commentator. I was just giving you grief because you weren't there. Oh, oh, okay. (laughs) No, Um, hey, mate, they can afford one. I I was always second place there anyway. Anyway. I knew it. I know uh, my place in the world, John. She had an awesome race and she apparently also won the Tauranga Half Ironman, which was in January. So good on her. Okay, John. Number two, ping on the bike. Well, I don't know if I've ever peed on... Is this different in Monica? Well, I don't think I've ever peed on the bike in a half iron, man, and oh. I did in Wanaka. The challenge I had in Wanaka was it was towards the end of the bike ride, and you got this dilemma, if I need to go for a pee, I'm going to have to freewheel for a bit, I'm going to lose a bit of time here, but I think I'll How feel... How long are you peeing for? Oh, it takes me a little while to break the seal and oh, get, okay. things, get things going, and I'm going, oh, God, where am I going to do this, where I can, you know, get it done, and then I won't have to be carrying it around the run course, and so there was a... The, 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 end of the bike course has changed the last couple of years and I did a quick recce in the car the day before and it's the steepest street in Wanaka that we can now go down. Oh, okay. And I thought, okay, there's downhill there, I'll do it there. And uh, and we rolled over this downhill. It was pretty steep. It was, you know, I'm, I'm talking probably 
going to guess, say about 15%, thought it's probably best that I don't do a wee going down this hill because there was hay bales at the bottom. Anyhow, I'd managed to do my first pee at the bottom of that hill. I had to freewheel. I reckon I lost probably 20 seconds, but I reckon I gained that back very quickly on the run. Nice. So take advantage if you can on the bike and do your wee so you don't have to stop on the run course. Okay. Oh, you're far out, yeah. Um, course, course accuracy. Mel Saltio, I think she also posted on Facebook uh, saying, what was the course accuracy like in Wanaka? And she is, happens to be the bike director, so I think oh, she's okay. got a little bit of a vested interest. Well, I've recorded 90.4 kilometres on the bike, so that's pretty close. Depends a little bit where you start and stop your watch, but hey, I think corner. that was, was pretty, yeah, exactly. Um, and then on the run, I got 21.6 kilometres. Oh, John, you did too much. But that was starting in transition, and I think if I'd started my watch over the walkway would have been still would have been a bit long I reckon because uh, my time was 45 seconds quicker than the slower than the recorded times I reckon the run would have been about 21.3 ish which is probably 21.3 21.4 which is in the ra- the range probably of acceptability Mel so yep. nice work right on Mel I know Mel that was a good chick she's, always, she's got a great smile Mel yeah because she wasn't she, she was in road wasn't she she was. Yep. Yep. She's a good um, last year, I got, well, last time I did Wanaka, I got some grief for littering. Yes, and you were not happy about it. And I, I defended you because I know when, when to defend you, and I did. And then you even went back and went harder. I did. <laughs> like, I gave the punch, and you yeah. gave him the hook from the side. And I've got to admit, I littered again this year oh. accidentally. So if anybody wants to send me email grief, it was accidental. The water bowl fell out the back of my bottle cage. Well, why didn't you stop and get it? That's a good point. <laughs> That's a good point. <laughs> Yes. Should you have to stop and pick up your rubbish? Yeah, that's a good, that's a good question. Hmm. You probably should, shouldn't you? Are you? Is a, is a, is a definite no, but will yeah. you? But should right. that be the law that if, if, if... I've got number five, sorry. Okay, here we go. I, I gave you time to get your five. Don't organize... A note to all organizers... Don't do a 10-second countdown in races. John always goes on one. No, you go on two. You don't go on one. They did a countdown again. I thought, oh, God, I know that this is a bit of cheating, but when you say two, I'm out of here. So, so A, you littered. B, you cheated. Yeah. <laughs> this There's other things I'm not going to say on the race as well. And I peed on the bike. You're not allowed to do that. You're not allowed to do that. You might get a DQ email from Monica. That's Retrospective DQ. Bill, give him a DQ, mate. Come on, Bill. Okay, that's Challenge Wanaka. Guys, if you haven't done Challenge Wanaka and you want to head to this part of the world, it's a great little combination to do Challenge Wanaka and Ironman New Zealand. Seriously, you, you, you may get a races on par, but you're not getting any race in the world as beautiful as this race. So make sure you check out Challenge Wanaka. And, uh, it's, a, not, it's a beautiful race. It's a challenging race, but it's also got a great kind of local feel about it. So check it out. John, Wanger of the Week. Last week's Wanger of the Week. I'm what are you calling BS on? Oh, I'll go to that in a go. second. Here we go. <laughs> Here we go. <laughs> so longest activity last week was Tim Pickett, who we've had on the show before. He uh, was oh, the, the, the runner. Uh, he was a he's a physio and he came into support crew on our last uh, Epic Camp France. He was doing a running race and I, I don't know which one it was, but he was out there 21 hours and 52 minutes. And I know that it was a long running race and he injured himself very early and I think he just had to try to keep going. Mm. So good on you, Tim. 21 hours and 52 minutes is a long time uh, to be moving. Now, what are you calling BS on? I'm calling BS on you, Bevan. What did I do? Because. You're going on and on and on. Uh, well, no, you're going on and on and on. I ask you about your running and you say, yeah, I'm just running easy, just taking it easy. I am. You've either, you're either doing a Mark Watson, you're compu- confusing ability <laughs> with ambition, or ambition with ability, whatever it is. What have I done? Last week, I, I, I had to go on, somebody's commented on one of my sessions and so I was on, went on to Strava, Strava yep. and I saw the run that you'd done. 
and like your average pace was 402 and I'm like that's not easy you're full of it you don't know what your easy zone is you need to get yourself sorted and that's not I an easy I don't think run. I ran a four let me look at my runs yes I'm just running on fuel right now. I don't even look at my watch, John. I don't even, I gave my watch to somebody else. Well, your phone's not working some, correctly. Let's, let's find okay, where it Bevan was. Okay, Bevan Here we go, here we go. Bevan Isles. I would never be a shit. 411 average pace for 10 kilometres. And I did run downhill on that first bit, which I took easy. So I probably did average four minute case. Let's have a look. And you got fourth overall on the Barrington Street, Coronation Street to Lincoln Corner, yeah, 421. Obviously, nobody runs down there. Well, Greg, Greg Bramwell does. So you got a 359K in there. You got a 355. You finished off with a 353. You got to, you need a coach to sort yourself out, no, you set you some training zones. Coach, you reckon, eh? You're bullshit. You're full of it. <laughs> bullshit. You don't know what an easy zone is. I'm just doing, I'm just doing, I'm just running to my, my coaching session. Okay, that's not easy pace. Yeah, I just go for what feels. You know what, you know what it was, John? Here we go. You know what it was? The I Am Talk playlist. Right, Brian Adams. <laughs> Brian Adams came on and I was like, I'm in the zone. You know it's true. I'm running up the road. You're on repeat. You just, so, you didn't. Uh, yeah, I don't really run slow much. I've noticed. Oh, no, no, when I do my hill words, when I run up the hill, I do. But that's because. But that's I, I don't really. Help. I don't really go. It's not often I'm going to do five minute k's. Mm. You know, that's pretty slow for me. You know, you're just too fast for me. Yeah, I okay. won't be able to keep up with you any longer. No, you kill me. Um, okay, questions and answers. There's no real questions and answers. But John, you got Epic Camp coming up in France. We have. So I've still got a few spaces for Epic Camp France. A few of you might have seen the little uh, advert I put on our Facebook page. So if you are keen, um, I've got a few spaces available. And and it was sold out, but it just probably it was pull out, didn't it? A few yeah. people pull out, so it's a bit frustrating. Um, so if you've ever been keen and you're thinking maybe I'm not quite up to standard, we have got one or two people that aren't that, that I'm, I'm letting in. That, that I'm confident as long as you've got a good attitude and mainly that you've got some good strength on the bike you don't need to be riding five hours you know if you're sort of somewhere in that sort of 5.30 to 5.45 range uh, on the bike you'll be able to keep up you need to be really fit for it it's in late July we're basically traversing all the way along the Pyrenees it's going to be uh, amazing you go over all the you know, famous uh, Tour de France climbs the Tourmalet the Marie Blanc the Obese the Perisord uh, it's going to be wicked times I've got some new challenges that I'm coming up with at the moment oh, for really? this year and it's going to be Do you give us a hint well I'm going to make it I'm not going PC crap on people <laughs> but I'm going to I want to make it so lots of people have got a shot for the yellow jersey it's not just the fastest people okay. and so I'm going to try to come up with some sort of handicapping system so it's based on speed uh, your speed uh, not just the fastest people because the, the, I think you need to get Dawson on the job uh, perhaps because <laughs> what's, what's happened in the last few camps one or two people have cleared yeah. out really quickly and it's like a two race. Way, isn't it? It was, but I want to make it so that everybody's got a, a realistic shot okay. of, of getting it. Because the value of it is it does take you to another place if you've got something to chase. Yeah, and that's yeah. what I want everybody on the camp going, I've got a crack at this. If I really go a bit nut bar here, I could actually make mm. it. And I might be finishing 10th in some of the events, but on a scaled basis, I'm actually... Do you know, do you know one thing, I'm, I was just, as you're kind of talking about Epic Camp, and I'm sure you've got more to talk about, but... Um, I watched this movie called American... American Pie? No, oh, that's a good film. <laughs> um, but uh, I can't remember what it's called. But anyway, well, John and I watched it a few weeks ago, and it's a, it's a, it's a movie slash documentary. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's kind of a movie, but they talk to the real people in the movie. So right. they, they show in a story. And it's about these kids who basically discover that at the university they have some of the world's most expensive books, and the security around it's really poor. <laughs> so they decide they're going to rub the university, and it, it, it ends in tears. It's all disaster. But there's the, they basically, the woman that they have to kind of beat up to get into this, the security area, they, they, she's the last person who they talk to in the whole in the whole movie, 
And uh, she just said something that was really powerful. She just said, um, unfortunately, these young men didn't understand, um, didn't want to do the hard work to have a life transformation or experience, and they didn't want to do the work to help other people have life transformation or experiences. Mm-hmm. And I just thought, what a powerful thing to say. And, and just as you talk about Epic Camp, that's what Epic Camp is. It's this, it, it's a life transformation or experience. You know, like we love the sport, and a lot of us who do the sport, you know, know how to train hard but and so we're kind of already at this level mm-hmm. and when you do an epic camp you walk away from that man and there's a new version of you in there because you just discover things about yourself that you never thought possible and i just love that you know that saying from that like the movie was okay it was a kind of good sunday afternoon kind of popcorn watch mm-hmm. but that statement's really stuck with me you know you got to do the work to have transformational experiences and also your job is to help other people with transformational experiences and um yeah so you know Get, get on it, guys. Epic Camp France. John, we, what do we Oh, we don't need your history lesson. We've got, no. plenty, we got plenty of time. Okay, let's talk about patrons. We have James the Trawler Slade. We've got Paul Silky Smooth Williams. And Christina steaming up the room. Armit. <laughs> Back it up. <laughs> nice. That's a good one. Mm. Steaming up the room. Uh, sponsors. Extreme Endurance. Your lactic buffer. If you want to email the show, you just go to um, imtalkpodcast at gmail.com. If you want to become a patron and get a cool nickname and also support the boys and go into the draw to win a trip to Kona, just go to www.imtalk.me and you'll see there's a link to becoming a patron. Also, when you're on there, you can send us an email about um, some cool content like websites, feedback, our age group is a week. If you want some coaching, check out coachjohnnewsome.com. And if you want to check out my other podcasts, which I released a show yesterday, and I've got, a, I've got a really cool interview coming up in a couple of weeks. I've got this guy who went on Britain's Got Talent <laughs> and failed miserably. Yeah. Yeah, but it's actually a really interesting story because they kind of screwed him. Because basically what happened was he, do, he was doing a magic trick. Yeah. And he said, oh, I just need to call me a week before. And they called him a day before. And he said, I need 20 minutes to set up my set. And they said, oh, you're on in two minutes. Yeah. And then he failed miserably. And, he, and oh, pretty traumatic experience because the whole world yeah. – um, but he's actually—he was a, he's like a psychologist and stuff. So he's actually done some really important work around suicide. And one thing that was really interesting was around suicide. Most suicide events don't come from depression. Mm. Most suicide events come from a traumatic moment. Mm. Yeah, which is which is really fascinating. So I'm going to get him on the show, and I'll let you guys know it's a couple of weeks away. But it's going to be coming up soon on my podcast, The Ben James Hill Show. John, your goss. What's my goss? I'm looking forward to getting outside again. We've had a weekend of crappy weather, which uh, was not a lot of fun, as we said earlier. I think we said earlier, snow on the mountains, crazy. They had 50 centimetres of snow. Up we're, we're, and we're still in summer. Field. We're in summer. Middle of summer. No, we're in the summer. Yeah, and they were supposed to have this mountain biking open sh- open day at our local ski field, which is about an hour and a half away from where we live, and they've decided to, you can go up skiing instead. Oh, really? So you can go up and uh, take skis out for a day, and I think it's all free. Uh, the snow will melt pretty quick, but yeah, that was, uh, I wouldn't say it was exciting. I, I, I'm not an animal person at all, Bevan. You've, you've got, you're no. sick of the guinea pigs already? That's a problem. I'm not, I'm not an animal person. I love my little guinea pigs. Oh, was, really? And I was really worried about them over the weekend. And so on, <laughs> you've changed. On Sunday, I built them a little uh, indoor box. So we've, I got my head some spare wood left you over. Should, you guys should have seen, John. I know, his face in when he said I was worried about my little, little guinea pigs. You turned into a little five-year-old. So I, I have this, some timber left over from my planter boxes I've been building, and I built a little indoor box so they can come inside if it gets really crappy weather. And uh, I lined it with some core flute and stuff, and uh, so now I've got a little indoor space. And did they end up coming inside? They came for a little bit on Sunday. So and over winter, when the cold days, I'll, I'll let them in. How long do they live for? 
think it's a good range. You got sort of five to seven years. I oh think. wow! So you're in for the long haul with guinea I pigs. Think it's not the long haul. You mentioned getting a dog and things like that. Yeah, but return investment on a dog's a lot better because mm. you know the thing about it, like I'm not an animal person either, but. A dog's a lot of fun. Yes, you know, a lot of work though. Yeah, they're a lot of work, but down. but you can go go running with them. They're mm. always happy to see you when the guinea pigs see you. What <laughs> they are bouncing around. <laughs> they go, Daddy's back in the house. <laughs> Daddy, can I come inside? Okay, then come, come on. on in. So that was uh, that was my Sunday afternoon building that. And because the thing is, we don't live in a practical world nowadays, and so for us men of our our elk. That's pretty much the extent of what we'll make, yeah, isn't I'm it? Not, I'm not particularly practical. No, but were you pretty proud of it? Yeah, it looks good. Yeah. You, you, next time you come past, yeah. I'll show you my little guinea pig house. <laughs> I'm coming, I'll be excited to see me as well. Took Tommy out for a mountain bike ride. I'm trying to find an exterior course we can do down here. Went and rode a little mountain bike course, and it was just the right level of challengingness for me and Tom. It was like, had a few foot downs as we are going around over in Living Springs. Oh, Living Springs. circuit over there. Well, swim? Swim down in the harbour. You can swim down there at Where were you run? Uh, you can run along the waterfront, so got a little few little plans there. What so kind of distance? Pretty short. You don't have to ride very far on a mountain bike for it to take a while. Yeah. This loop was only 10Ks, and granted I was with Tom, we had a few stops. It took us an hour. Oh, wow. Uh, so there you go. Good times. Anything else? Uh, that's about it. Bevan, what's happening in your world? Watched, um, have you watched Fast and the Furious? Don't know. May yeah. have done. I'm a bit of a movie snob, John. Because mm. normally what I do when I watch a movie... IMDb or whatever IMDb, it is. IMDb, and I've got to be above seven. Yeah. So I know I'm not watching my time on 6.9. Mm. Don't give me a 6.9. No, mm. I'm out. Because life is short, John. Mm-hmm. You haven't got time for crap movies. Mm-hmm. But sometimes you do need to watch a crap movie. <laughs> and so on Sunday afternoon, I, I got... It was a bit crap and weather. I worked all morning. I was a bit tired. Mm-hmm. So I thought I'd jump on the couch, put the big screen down, and uh, put on Fast and the Furious. I started watching it. Joe walked into the lounge. She goes, what are you watching? So yeah. that's giving me a bit of crap. Joe was hooked on it. Okay. We might end up watching all of them. Yeah. yeah. Fast and the Furious. Do you like driving a car fast? Haven't had a lot of experience doing that, but yes, I, I do like a bit of speed. Yeah. yeah. Safety conscious, though. In the right environment, it's okay. I've got to make Scott, who, who's a cop, mm-hmm. and he's, he's the ultimate cop. Like He loves being a cop, mm-hmm. and like, he loves getting tickets. Yeah. And like to the extent where... <clears throat> um, if you're in the car with Scott, we're, we're up in Auckland for work, and he's not on work, mm. and we're in the car, and there's, we're in the car, and one of our friends, Mid, was in the back seat, and she didn't have his back seat on, she didn't have his seat belt on. Mm-hmm. He's in the front seat, and, he, and Harry even knew, because he's looking forward, and, he, and after about 20 minutes, goes, Mid, it's just really frustrating me, you need to put your seat belt on. <laughs> nice. <laughs> like, now, in fairness to him, he is, he is you know, the, the, the hardcore cop. He, he did say to me the other day, the thing is, Bev, I, I do go to the accidents. And so, you know, they have that mm. ad on TV. But he was telling me he loved, like, he's been doing traffic recently and he's basically beaten all the records for, for traffic. Nice. <laughs> and he's discovered he loves giving people tickets for the phone. Oh, I would, do, I would love doing that. But do you use your phone when you drive? No. Ever? No. Never? Never. Never. Not even just a sneaky look? No. No. Neither do I. God, I'm not driving near you. You, um, don't, you don't turn your bloody lights on when it's dark, and then you're going to crash into me when you've got your. But he gets a push bike. He gets a push bike, so he rides up to people with the lights. Nice. <laughs> so he's got a push bike. Rides up to, knocks on the window, pull on over. <laughs> nice. Because yeah, so there you go. So maybe I could become a cop. Other than that, John, just just doing some light running. Yeah, light running, <laughs> easy running this week. I think it's going to be a game changer. Three thirty per k. 
don't think I could do a 3.30. Well, you're pretty close. Yeah, I'll probably do it for 1K. Yeah. Good average. Oh, there's a, yeah, I'm not quite sure of the goal yet. But anyway, anyway, John, let's wrap it up. Iron Russ. I've been done. Train hard. Train smart. Kick, Kick up. up.